Teach us this morning, shall we? Father, we come now to your word. We ask that you be the teacher, the counselor. Open our hearts, open our minds to the truth of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We are in a series of six weeks on what gets us unstuck. Rob mentioned that this morning, that there are times where you are so shackled with chains that it becomes almost uh, a difficult process of moving yourself forward in the Christian life and moving onward. Well, today's, uh, today's topic is one of those keys that unlocks those chains. And it's much what uh, Rob said this morning. It isn't until you get to the point of being so frustrated and realize you can't do a thing that that becomes the key to moving forward. God often gets us to that place. It's a time of preparation. The Encarta Dictionary puts it this way on the definition of preparation. The work or planning involved in making something or somebody ready or in putting something together in advance. It's also a state of readiness. But the third meaning that the Encarta Dictionary uses is something done in advance in order to be ready for a future event. I can remember uh, there's a lot of times in our lives where we're helping people prepare to be ready for something. Ever had a teenager and you're trying to get her or him ready for the prom? And uh, have you ever got your elementary kid ready to hit the ball in t-ball? Have you ever been involved in taking your child to music lessons and encouraging them because they can only hit two notes on the violin? It's going to still be okay. There's all kinds of methods of preparation that you and I are involved in leading up to future events. I know that as a coach, as a former coach, I remember sitting and uh, we were about ready to play the, Lith Lith the Lithuanian uh, national team, the ones that won the, uh, the uh, uh, bronze medal in the 2000 Olympics. We were there in 2000. And we were playing with a, uh, 10 people, that I was the coach, from, with an all-star team from the United States in basketball, Division One. We were sent over with uh, athletes in action to play 10 of the top pro teams in Europe. And I can remember before each game, we would sit down and prepare and think about things. But especially for playing against what turned out to be an NBA team, uh, for us as college people, it was a pretty tough game. But to be prepared for that was amazing. And to get the psychological mental prowess to do that. We also played the Latvians and the Russians, their Olympic teams. We got by the Latvians, we got by the Russians. We didn't get by the Lithuanians. They trumped us pretty good, but then when I, we found out that the Lithuanians uh, only lost by two points to an NBA team uh, for us to advance into the finals, I thought to myself, maybe our kids didn't do so bad after all. Preparation is key in life. There are movies ad nauseum that talk about preparation. Some of us who are sports fans remember the movie, Remember the Titans. We think about all the sports movies, all the, all the recital movies, and music and arts and everything else. People preparing for a 
for a time of recital or acting or sports or whatever the process may be, preparation is key. I think this is an interesting quote. It says, Once we know His eternal plan and purpose for us, His method of preparation and process to that end, there is rest and confidence. Now it so happens that God's basic ingredient for growth is need. Without personal needs, we would get nowhere in the Christian life. What do you need this morning? What do you think is your real need? And what do you think is maybe a perceived need or a felt need? The reason our Father creates and allows needs in our lives is to turn us from all that is outside of Christ, centering us on Him alone, not I by Christ. And it's the same as we sang this morning, in Christ alone. For both our growth and service, it is all essential that we see and understand this principle. J.B. Stoney wrote this. He says, The soul never imbibes the truth in living power, but as it requires it. It isn't until we get to that point of need. It isn't that until that point that we are actually down on our knees. We're so frustrated with life. We don't know where it's coming from. And God has got us right where He wants us. It's not wrong to get to, get to a point of frustration in your life. It's not wrong. In fact, it's good. As our growth needs cause us to reach out and appropriate by faith, from our Lord Jesus Christ, that which we require. And in the matter of service, in witnessing and helping others, we must watch and wait for the hungry, the needy heart, if there is to be abiding fruit. Oh, man. What is it that we drink in? What is it that we need? I know that after a, a long day outside and garden work and everything else, there's nothing that slacks the thirst like a good, cool, refreshing drink of water, or maybe your favorite beverage. But the body cries out for it. The body needs that. And we try to fill our needs with every possible thing in the world. You don't need another dose of Oprah. You don't need another dose of Red Book magazine. You need the Word of God. You need In Christ Alone. We need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Again, Stoney says this, the true value of anything is known only when it is wanted. Jan Darby makes a, a, a doubly clear by writing this. In fact, I used this quote as I prayed for the senators this week in the Colorado Senate. Wisdom and philosophy never found out God. He makes Himself known to us through our needs. Necessity finds Him out. I doubt much if we have ever learned anything solidly except we have learned it thus. In this light, our needs are invaluable. We must face up to the fact that without spiritual support, we cannot feed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. From our personal experience, Matthew 5, 6 again, should mean much to all of us. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We are filled with this quote as well. All too often believers are exhorted and even pressured to grow before there is an acute awareness of need. 
before there is true spiritual hunger. Sometimes we're so filled up with biblical facts that we can't even use because we don't even know our need in them yet. And sad to say, in most instances, when there is really felt heart hunger for the Word, there is very little spiritual food. That's why Dillon Community Church has adopted as one of its core values strong biblical teaching and preaching. One of the main reasons for so much evangelistic effort and personal work coming to little or nothing is is that truths are forced upon the target, so to speak, to be saved before he is aware that he's even lost. I was... uh, Campus Crusade had a a program uh, years ago called I Found It Campaign. I was part of that. I saw a bumper... A bumper sticker somewhere, and, and it was in reaction to, I found a campaign. It says, I didn't know it was lost. That's exactly the point. There are people that we share Christ with, they don't even know they're lost. Nothing's been even said or done. Today's generation has never even gone to church. In fact, their parents never went to church. In fact, when you're witnessing to maybe people between the ages of 15 and 25, you almost have to create a theology. You and I who are older here, we were raised in church. We understand the concept of sin. We understand the concept of redemption. Those are foreign words to people between 15 and 25 years of age. They don't even know what you're talking about. What do you mean, I'm a sinner? What what does that mean? What do you mean, redemption? What does it mean that Christ died for me? You have to build an entire theology in order to even witness to them. And you and I are the epistles. That we're the, we're the living Word of God that goes out day by day and shares with them. And June and her staff, as they counsel with these young ladies... And sharing Christ are building a theology that even life is valuable to God. It's more valuable than anything else. They didn't even know it when they walked in the door, half of them. You and I have a phenomenal task. No wonder Jesus said we're salt and light. We are in the business of making people thirsty when they didn't even know they were. The work will soon come to naught, I think, unless an overpowering conviction of sin causes the lost to reach out with the grip of personal faith and find their need fully met in the Savior. Watchman Nee, in some of his earlier writings, did have some good stuff, and I want to quote this. He says, The Lord does not set us here, first of all, to preach, or really to do any work for Him at all. The first thing for which He sets us here is to create hunger in others. No true work will ever begin without a sense of need being created. We cannot inject that into others. We cannot drive people to be hungry. That hungry, that hunger is to be created. And that hunger can be created only through those who carry the impressions of God. Is that what you carry today? In preparation, there is a tearing down before there can be building up. Hosea puts it this way, Come and let us return unto the Lord. For He hath torn, and He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up, or heal us. This applies to both growth and service. 
J.C. Metcalf, I think, faithfully writes this, It is more than comforting to realize that as those who have plumbed the depths of failure to whom God invariably call, gives the call to shepherd others. He wants broken people. This is not a call given to the gifted, the highly trained, or the polished as such. Without a bitter experience of their own inadequacy and poverty, they are quite unfitted to bear the burden of spiritual ministry. It takes a man who has discovered something of the measures of his own weakness to be patient with the foibles of others. I have advised, I know our transition committee, don't pick someone who hasn't yet been broken by God. In fact, I will tell you this in my pastorate days. I wouldn't even hire a man as a pastor unless God had busted his chops already. Does that communicate busted his chops? You don't want somebody who's only looks like they've been successful at everything they've done. You want people who have been broken by God because they know they need Him. Then he goes on to say, such a man also has a first-hand knowledge of the loving care of the chief shepherd and his ability to heal one who has come humbly to trust in him and him alone. Therefore, he does not easily despair of others, but looks beyond the sinfulness, willfulness, and stupidity to the might of unchanging love. The Lord Jesus does not give the charge, be shepherd to my lambs, to my sheep, on hearing Peter's self-confident affirmation of undying loyalty. No, I love this part. But he gives it after he had utterly failed to keep his vows and wept bitterly in the streets of Jerusalem. Man, I'm glad he did that. Because that means that even Dr. G gets a chance. Don't look so smug. That means you get a chance too. Yes, there is going to be deep, thorough, and long preparation if there is to be reality, if our life is to be Christ-centered, if our walk controlled by the Holy Spirit and our service is glorifying to God. Sooner or later, the Holy Spirit begins to make us aware of our basic problem as believers. The infinite, the infinite difference between self and Christ. Listen to this. There are other labors besides those who are seeking for pardon, for justification. There are labors for sanctification, after personal holiness, after riddance of the power of the old Adam, that old prototype, you remember? And to such as well as those who are seeking after salvation, Christ promises with this great, I will it is possible, it is highly possible for a man, after having been found justifying rest in Christ, to enter upon a deep, deep need as regards sanctifying rest. We think we shall not go far wrong if we say that this has been the experience of almost every believer that has ever lived. I would totally agree. Let me illustrate a... a, a a point here to you today and go with me on kind of a mythical journey. Let's go back in time, back to about September and October when the leaves were red and brilliant and gold here in the, in the uh, Summit Valley area here. You know, Dillon does not and Frisco does not and Silverthorne does not and Breckenridge does not and Keystone does not hire people to be leaf pickers. Did you know that as the new sap 
flows through the tree, the old dead leaves just fall off. You won't find any vans, any cars that travel around here called, We Are the Leaf Pickers. And they go up in the trees and pick up all the dead leaves. No, they just stay plugged into the, to the trunk. And as the life comes through them, the old leaves fall off. So it is with you in Christ. You stay plugged into the vine. And all the old leaves will just fall off. You don't have to go around with each other in discipleship groups and saying, Oh, there's, a, there's an old leaf, part of the old nature. Let me help you pick that leaf off of you. That's not the job of the pastor. It's not the job of the deacons or the elders. It's not the job of some caring, loving disciple person in the church. It's the job of the Lord. It is His new life moving through the branches that cause the old habits and the old things of my old life to drop off and disappear. The more you stay plugged into Christ, the better off you are. That's where you get your sustenance. That's where you get your life. That's where you get your power. It doesn't come from anything else. It sure doesn't come from well-conditioned flesh. I know we say, oh Lord, now I've been so convicted by you and from now on I promise you I'm going to read my Bible every day. And I can just hear God saying, please don't do that. Last week we talked about the, <clears throat> the sin principle like a teeter-totter. We shoved that fulcrum back under that teeter-totter. Now it starts to work again. Apart from the law, sin is what? Dead. I'm not going to try to activate my sin nature. I'm going to try to activate the new nature. And that means I'm going to come, I'm going to worship, I'm going to tell, I'm going to ask God in His Scripture, what is my position in Him? I'm going to find out who I am in Christ, and the more I center on my position, then my condition will improve. Everything's in Christ. It's amazing to me in all of this. Much of his preparation in our lives consists of setting up the struggle of seeing self for what it is and then attempting to get free from its evil power and influence. You can't do that. You can't get free. Only he can free you. And if you come to the same point that Rob was talking about here this morning, God, I don't even haven't got a clue. Hey, that's a good place to be. Because the next key is you do. That's what God is doing in your life to prepare you for the Christ-filled life. In Romans 7, 18, it says, And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. McElvery puts it this way, Not to babyhood are we able to continually abide in His presence, regardless of our surroundings, that which we are doing. Not when we serve Him with intermittent zeal does our own soul grow and thrive. Not when we are indifferent are we watered from the presence of the Lord. It is after we have been subdued, refined, and chastened. When the love of self and the world is gone, that we, are, that we learn to abide in touch with Him at all times and in all places or surroundings. That's a powerful song we sang this morning. 
in Christ alone. The value of both the struggle to free ourselves from the old prototype, the old Adam life, and the equally fruitless efforts to experience the new Adam life, the second prototype, the Christ-filled life, is finally to realize that we can't do it. It's utterly futile. In fact, it put it this way, our personal heartbreaking failure in every phase of our Christian life is our Father's preparation for His success on our behalf. Hmm. This negative processing of His finally brings us into the positive promise of Philippians 1.6, which says, being confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. His good work in us is begun through failure, and this includes our strongest points, which continues on into, into His success by His performance and not ours. You know the hardest area that you have to trust God in? It's your strongest area. My strongest area is the ability to preach. You know what the hardest area for me to trust God is? Preaching. Because I know I can do a halfway decent job in the flesh. And frankly, you probably wouldn't even know the difference. But I do. I don't know what your strong area is, but you could probably do it in the power of your flesh. And most people think you're doing fine. We are to be made ultimately on His power. His good work in us, it begins through failure. Then it says, interesting in Philippians 2.13, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Not just to do it, but to will it. I love that part. There is no question but that we all began in sheer grace, and we must continue and arrive on the very same basis. So Galatians 5.1 says this, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free, and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Even some kind of Christian Torah that you thought up of. <laughs> you know one of the hardest persons to live the Christian... You know one of the hardest prototypes there is in the world for people uh, to live the Christian life are type A people. Especially anal retentive people. (laughs) Because they make great Christians. They can do it in the flesh. They're so well disciplined. And what did God say? The flesh stinks. I judged it 2,000 years ago. I died on the cross for it. And Romans 6.6 says we died with Him. The flesh was supposed to die then. But we keep resurrecting it as if we're doing God a favor. No, the preparation, my friend, is to show yourself completely, totally inadequate to live the Christian life. And your dependence must be upon Him. That's what gets you unstuck. And the more you try to live it in the flesh, the more stuck you'll get. Charles Trumbull said this, The effortless life is not the willless life. Hmm. We use our will to believe, to receive, but not to exert effort in trying to accomplish what only God can do. Our hope for victory over sin is not Christ plus my efforts, but Christ plus just receiving. To receive victory from Him is to believe His Word that solely by His grace, He is, this moment, freeing us from the dominion of sin. And to believe on Him in this way is to recognize that He is doing for us 
what we cannot do for ourselves. We learned this principle at the time of our spiritual birth. And it seems that most of us have to learn it over again for our spiritual growth and service. Fear not, dear friend. Just hold firm to the fact of his purpose for you in Christ. And he will faithfully take you step by step into all the necessary preparation. He will do it. Once you are sure of his purpose, you can be equally positive of the preparation. Hmm. The Lord is glorified in a people whose heart is set at any cost by any road upon the goal which God himself, a man who is thus minded, says, be any road. Well, here's a difficult road then, a road beset by enemies. But the passionate desire for the goal will hold him steadfast in the way. In fact, look at this. It is the man who lacks the yearning to know him that will be easily turned aside. Along that road, the man Christ Jesus has already gone before and at every point has overcome for us. We have not climbed up. We have been brought through in the train of his triumph. Every enemy has been met. Every foe has been overcome. There remains nothing that has not been put potentially beneath his feet. And there remains nothing in this universe that is, that is able to overcome the least child of God who has taken the hand of the Lord and said, Lord, bring me through to the place where you are. There is a great glory to the Lord in a quiet, confident walk in the day of adversity, a day of dread when things about us are shaking and trembling. Some years ago, E.V. Hill, the great black preacher from the Watts area, took a trip with Jesse Jackson. I'm not sure why he went with Jesse, but he did. They were over in Israel, in some of the Palestinian area, and they were moving from the hotel to the limousine for them to go to the next place. And E.V. got behind a step. And more people pushed in between him and Jesse. And Jesse was in the limousine, and Evie was trying to fight to get to the door when a guard stopped him and says, you can't get in the limousine. Not realizing that Evie was with the crowd. Panic began to arise on Evie Hill's part. Because uh, this could be potentially dangerous for him. When all of a sudden the door of the limousine opened and Jesse stepped out and looked back and pointed at Evie Hill and said, Let him through. He's with me. There's going to come a day, that judgment day, and the accuser's going to stand there between you and Jesus before you enter into the pearly gates. And Satan's going to throw up every accusation of your life to God. But I got good news for you. For those of you who are believers in Christ, Jesus is going to point right to you and say, let him through. You don't need to listen to that liar, conjurer. Let him through. He's with me. Well, if that's what he's going to do at the end, I don't want to miss out in the middle. And when I come through the periods of brokenness and uncomfortable times in my life, 
Oh, I want to hear when I get to heaven, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I'd like to hear something here on earth. God's reassuring voice through his Holy Spirit that says, He's with me. And you know why? Because he's letting me live my life through him. And he's gotten to the point where he recognizes he can't live the Christian life. It's hopeless. It's fruitless. Only I can do it through him. This man is prepared to do good things. And we'll pick it up next week on that vein. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace and your sufficiency. Thank you that in all things, your sufficiency is what is the most important thing that the world see. And today, let us not look at our failures. Let us not look at the times where we have dropped the ball as being problem times, but actually times that have prepared us to say, I can't do it. I can only do this through you. How great that is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.